Richard's already said this morning that we are drawing to the end of our series on Colossians. And we thought this would be a really good opportunity to have a look through the steps that we've already traveled so far. And maybe just to reflect on some of the things that God's been talking to us about in those times. The things he's been challenging us about over there, that, that kind of period of time. So we're just going to run through the steps first of all. And as you're seeing these slides... Just be thinking about some of the things that you heard during those sermons, perhaps. And then there'll be an opportunity afterwards, maybe, to share um, with each other some of the things that you were thinking. So, step one was to live a life which is pleasing to Jesus. Live a life which is pleasing to Jesus. Step two, have complete confidence in Jesus all the time. We've just been singing, haven't we, in that song about what a beautiful name, what a powerful name. We can have complete confidence in Jesus all the time. Um, step three is to know and share the message of Jesus. Why would we keep it to ourselves if, if there's so much in it for everybody else? Step four is to celebrate the fullness of life in Jesus. Step five is to behave in a way that reflects Jesus. Step six, to work with enthusiasm as serving Jesus. And step seven, the one we looked at last time, is to pray eagerly and speak wisely. So seven steps that we've been through so far. Um, and maybe, Andrew, if you could just keep those sort of looping around, would that be okay? So people can kind of see them on the screen. Um, so I'm going to be quite brave, and I'm going to kind of send the mic out there and see if anybody has something that they would like to contribute to this morning, something that God has been saying to them through the book of Colossians. The message that Colossians brings is that Jesus Christ is supreme over all and that he alone is sufficient to save. We can be complete in Christ because he is completely sufficient and completely satisfying. And why? Because he is completely supreme. If we want to live with hope, then we need to look to Jesus, our living hope. We come to the last few verses of this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. My apologies if I pronounce your name wrongly as I read it. Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, make him welcome. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jew, Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God 
and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you, Eric. The name sounded perfect. I think you did exceptionally well. There were all those different names that came up in that. And so we reach the end of the book of Colossians, and we find what appears to be a list of greetings and a list of instructions from the writer Paul. And these instructions are given to various different people. And at first glance, it might appear that there's little for us to learn from this passage. Certainly, as I first read it through in my preparation for this morning, I wondered what I was going to say. However, I have come to realize that we can gain great insight from the way that Paul greets and refers to his friends. We can learn about friendship. We can discover something about the, how the church should function as a family of believers. And we can see examples of ways to encourage one another. We've already looked at this morning the steps through Colossians and how that's helped us to explore our journey of hope. I think most of us would agree that any journey we take is so much easier if we do it with friends. In our journey of faith, how can we nurture healthy friendships in the family of God, in the family of the church? I believe there's something special and unique about the nature of friendships that are founded in Christ. Friendships that are based on a shared devotion to the gospel offer the possibility of a deep and lasting bond. The way our friendship should be is beautifully described earlier in Colossians. In Colossians 2, Paul encourages the church to be knit together in love as they grow in their understanding and knowledge of Christ. Those words knit together bring something extra, don't they? These friendships are deep, intertwined. They go way beyond just friendliness. 
They need to be friendships that unite us, that challenge us, and that help us to grow in faith and make us more effective in our service for, to God. But please do not misunderstand me. I am in no way suggesting that we should only have friendships with people within the church. In our day-to-day -day life, we meet a huge variety of people that can enrich our lives and teach us so much. Those are friendships that should also be cherished and grown. However, this morning particularly, our focus is to look at relationships within the church community as together we seek God's will for our lives. This morning, I'm going to split the talk into two separate sections with space in between to reflect on what we heard. Firstly, we'll look at the way church should be like family. And secondly, the importance of friendship to encourage us and help us to grow in faith. So in this passage, Paul refers to a number of friends, but begins by mentioning two particular characters, Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus is actually mentioned a number of times in Paul's letters and appears to be an individual who is both trustworthy and reliable. He carries letters to different churches, and he has often sent to do some important work. Onesimus was a runaway slave who became a follower of Jesus when he met Paul in Rome. You can find out more about him in the book of Philemon. But let's look again at how Paul speaks of them in Colossians. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, he is a dear brother. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Look what he calls them. He calls them dear brothers. This gives us the first and most important thing to consider about our friendships. Gospel friendships look like family relationships. Gospel friendships look like family relationships. The word family will probably mean different things to you than it does to somebody else, maybe even the person next to you. Perhaps your experience of family has been love, protection, and happiness. Or maybe when you think of family, it brings painful memories of hurt and conflict and grief. Perhaps you've never really known what it's like to be part of a family. And yet in verse 15 and throughout the New Testament, there are references to the believers as brothers and sisters. In Galatians 6.10, Paul refers to the family of believers or the family of faith in a different translation. So it would appear there is something fundamental to grasp about how we view our relationships within the church family. Regardless of your own experience of family, the church should offer a place where you feel you belong, where the very best experience of family is available to you. It could be easy to just see church as another activity, something else in the week that we do, another place to meet up and to socialize. But church should be so much more than that social gathering, more than just a community of people. Church should look and feel like family. If we want to understand the way a family should look and operate, we need to look at how it's modeled in the Bible. We need a model of family that reflects the picture of unity shown by God himself. Our perfect heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8, we read that we are children of God, adopted into his family through the Holy Spirit. 
know that our God, our Heavenly Father, treats us with grace and with love, with mercy and forgiveness. And so the family of God should behave in the same way. Jesus commands us to love one another just as he has loved us. Jesus, whose sacrificial love was demonstrated so perfectly when he submitted to death on the cross, and whose perfect love was brought to completion at the resurrection, he challenges us to love one another in the same sacrificial way, putting aside our needs and our wants for the sake of others. So what does it mean on a practical level for our friendship in the church to be like family? Firstly, there should be a real sense of belonging. We should do all that we can to ensure that everyone is made to feel welcome and included. At coffee time, be aware of those who are standing on their own. Try speaking to someone you haven't spoken to before. I asked my son what he considered to be the most important aspect of family. And he said that family are the people who protect you. And I really liked that. The sense that in this family of believers, we can be those who surround one another. When life gets messy and circumstances are difficult, do we as a family do all we can to love and protect? Are we ready to help, to show love, to surround one another with the grace and forgiveness and love of Christ? That might be in many different ways. Maybe to listen to somebody, to pray for somebody, to cook a meal, to offer your home to somebody. Lots of different ways that we can show the family of believers. I find that hugely challenging. That call to love and serve one another. Inevitably, there are those within the family of church who we feel more connected to those who we more naturally align to. But Colossians 4 has something to teach us about the diverse nature of the family of God and the barriers that are overcome when Jesus is at the centre. Let's look at the different people that are named in the passage. Each person's story could be a sermon on their own, but for this morning we'll just be able to briefly mention them. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. We're told that they're Jews. Tychicus, Anisimus. Luke, Demas, and Epaphras. Therefore, we can assume are from a non-Jewish background. At that time when Paul... And yet, because of Jesus, those differences have been erased. Luke, the author of the book of Luke and Acts, is a doctor. Anisimus is a runaway slave. Socially, these men are opposite extremes of the spectrum but through Jesus they're made equal give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house Nympha's a woman that doesn't sound too radical to us but at that time women held a low status in society and would not have been permitted to even study the holy texts but here Paul records that Nympha's leading a church Paul respects and values the work that Nympha's doing. This reflects the example that Jesus showed in his interactions with women. He refused to treat them as inferior and instead recognized their individual gifts and their desires. So in these verses, in these people, we see a picture of the family of believers, a family that's made up of a diverse range of people, 
despite social, cultural and gender differences, they are united in their commitment to Christ and their desire to share the gospel. And this unity in Christ is also emphasized in some of other Paul, Paul's other letters. In Galatians, he writes, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you are baptized into Christ. All of you baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The family of the church is a place to build friendships that cross the divide of age, gender, social and cultural differences. A place where we can learn from one another. Where we can learn from the wisdom of experience and from the, the enthusiasm of youth. A place where we can learn to embrace diversity and to find unity in our differences. Are you prepared to accept the challenge of being in that family? A quote that I found that I liked was that it says this, it's by a man called Stephen Cole. It says, part of the glory of the church is that it's made up of these different types of people who in the world often would be opposed to one another. But because of the gospel, we're all one in Christ. Whatever we have in common is greater than anything that separates. Because we're such a diverse group of people, inevitably as in any family, there will be times when disagreements arise and relationships are strained. This can cause real and deep pain. Perhaps you yourself have been hurt by experiences within the church family and have carried that pain with you for a long time. Perhaps you know that there are those that you have not treated as family members in the way that you should. God can bring restoration and healing to those situations and longs for right relationships to be restored. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of prayer. I'm going to put up some things for you to think about based on the things that we've been thinking about so far. And in those few moments of stillness in the presence of God, I want to, you to consider what he may be challenging you about this morning. And then Jean's going to lead us into a time of intercession. Thank God for his love shown to us through Jesus and for the hope and joy that he brings. Thank God for the joy, for the friends that he has brought alongside you in your journey of faith. Ask God to help your friendships grow and thrive and show you how to be a faithful friend. Ask God to help you love and serve those in the family of the church and bring before God situations in the church family that have caused pain to you or to someone else, asking for healing and help to restore those relationships. Just another short section to consider the role of friends in helping us grow in faith, encouraging us and ensuring us that we're effective in our service for God. So Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. In this verse, we meet Epaphras again. He's probably the founder of the church at Colossae and has actually already had a mention in Colossians in chapter 1, where Paul calls him a faithful minister of Christ. Immediately after the reference to Epaphras in chapter 1, we read this verse. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. 
So it seems that along with Paul, Epaphras was a man who understood the importance of praying for the church and the family of believers. To me, the expression, always wrestling in prayer for you, implies a particularly strong commitment. Not a half-hearted effort, but a total dedication. To link to what we heard last week, it would seem that Epaphras was a man who was devoted to prayer. And so I want to emphasize this morning the importance of encouraging one another in prayer. The example of Epaphras comes with the challenge to be praying regularly and wholeheartedly for our friends. Are you wrestling in prayer for your friends? Are you lifting up their spiritual lives, praying that they may become mature in their faith and praying that they may stand firm in the will of God? Alongside that, though, is also the challenge for us to be honest. Honest in sharing with one another how our journey of faith really is, not just the image we like to portray to others. If we really take seriously the challenge from earlier about church being family, then we have to take the trusts in our friendships to a deeper level. There's a call to be open about the areas in your faith that you're struggling with, being able to share weaknesses and doubts, being able to share the needs that you have. And one way you can do this is to write your prayer requests on the sheet by the door. And as we've already done, together we can lift those concerns before God. Or it may be that you find it helpful to have a prayer partner or to form a prayer triplet Friends that can listen and hear your concerns and needs and lift them before God. Let's be a church that prays for and with one another. Let's encourage one another to pray. Let's be a family of believers who actively wrestle in prayer for one another and intentionally pray for God to fill our friends with the knowledge of his will. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. That's verse 16. In this verse, Paul encourages the church at Colossae to read and share the spirit-inspired letters that he has written. There is some debate about what has happened to the letter from Laodicea. One particular thought is that the letter referred to here is what we now have as the book of Ephesians. That possibly Ephesians was a circular letter that was passed from church to church, and that all were encouraged to read it. Regardless of that, it is clear that Paul was encouraging the churches to study the gospel truths contained within the words of the letter and through them to grow in faith. And so we should encourage one another to study the Bible. We should help one another to develop good habits of regularly spending time in reading and studying the Bible. Why? Because it's through the pages of scripture that we are able to encounter the living God. Reading the Bible deepens and strengthens our relationship with God as we discover more about the truth of his love and his promises. The words of scripture sustain and encourage us when we need it. They guide us towards becoming the person that God created us to be and equip us to live lives that please him. They reveal to us the direction and will of God for our lives. Again, I think there's a challenge here to be honest with one another. In our friendships, we need to be willing to ask one another about how our Bible reading is going. What have we learned? What have you found difficult? Be accountable to a friend who can help you to stay disciplined. Then it says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. In this verse, Paul is writing words of encouragement to Archippus. We're not sure what work it is that he's been given been given by God to do. 
Maybe the words imply that he's become a little discouraged in his service and perhaps he's at the point of giving up. Or maybe he's serving faithfully and just needs to hear that word of encouragement. In our friendships, we need to learn to encourage one another. There are times when we can feel discouraged in our service, particularly if we feel that no one notices or acknowledges the work that we're doing. At times, it may lead us to doubt that we're being effective for God. Just a small word of encouragement as you recognize someone else's gifts and abilities can make an enormous difference. As a family, we need to encourage and enable people to find that area of service that God has given them. One way that you can encourage your friend is to let them know what they're doing well. In this way, it will push push them to continue to live like Christ. Another way you can encourage others is to share what you've been learning from God's word. It could be just the thing that your friends need to hear. Earlier this morning, it was really good to hear how God has spoken to us as a church and to us as individuals through the book of Colossians. There's nothing quite as encouraging than listening to what God has been teaching someone else. So in conclusion, our friendships are something to treasure. In the family of God, we are called to push those friendships deeper, loving and serving one another in the same way as we would family. Recognizing that this family is a diverse mix of people, all with different abilities, skills, and needs, so our family life might not be cozy all the time. There are times when relationships need to be restored, which can be painful. Our friendship should help us to be disciplined in our walk with God, which can be challenging. They need to hold us to account. We need to encourage one another, pray for one another, study the Bible together. And in all your friendships and relationships, hold Jesus at the center. Let's commit to being a church, a family, that is united in Christ, a church that loves and serves one another in a Christ-like way, a church where we challenge one another to grow and to become more Christ-like, and a church that seeks to share with others the good news of Jesus, our living hope. So at the end of Colossians, what is the message? It's that God calls us to live a Christ-centered life. That theme has been recurring over and over. Christ is central. He is central to creation. He is central to redemption. He is central to the church, central to the gospel. He is central to your relationships. He's central to your ministry. He's central to your life. Whatever situation you find yourself in, the answer is always the same. Keep Christ at the center.